1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review, with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 193, recorded February 7th, 2015.
0: So we continue our 2000 series with the wild Storms Deep Space Nine, Invector 3 through 4, and Star Trek Next Generation, The Killing Shadows number 1.
1: Yes, uh, lots of action-packed things going on in these, the wrapping-up story and the starting-up story. Lots right. of action.
0: Yes, should be should be good stuff.
1: Uh, yes, like we spoke about N Vector issues one and two in last uh, in the last episode. I think we liked it. We liked where it was going. It was interesting, but can they keep the momentum up? And can they wrap it up in a nice tight little bow at the end? I guess we'll find
0: out. We'll find out soon. Yes, maybe sooner than you think.
1: Uh, okay. Okay.
0: Just, I thought that they probably could have wrapped it up in issue number three. Four seemed kind of tacked on, I thought. Yeah. But we'll we'll get into that here in a minute. Okay, cool. Is there any uh, business to discuss? Uh, I don't think we have any business. Uh, Planet of the Apes crossover is out now, so uh, I would like to uh, give that a read. I haven't had a chance to do so yet. Yeah, me too. And City at the Edge of Forever, that's that's still out there, unread. Find yeah,
1: there. That, so that's a five-issue uh, story arc, and I am very... I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. So uh, we are going to try to work that in sooner than later uh, right. uh, into our schedule. It's not in the schedule currently, but we are going to try to work that in because we are both very interested in, in that one. Planet of the Apes as well as the City on the Edge of Forever rework. Right.
0: So, the, the interesting thing about, uh, what's his name, Harlan Ellis- Ellison? Ellison. Ellison. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he wrote Starship Troopers. He wrote a, uh, a lot of other science fiction classics. Um, I didn't know that he wrote so much sci-fi TV. And, in fact, he even wrote a, um, he wrote an episode of Batman, the 66 Batman TV series. That really? I, I didn't know that. Huh. He wrote... He wrote an episode that would have introduced Two Face. Oh, wow. and they never filmed it because they thought it would be, you know, Two Face was too too much for kids' TV. Hmm. Um, but recently, DC Comics has released a comic book version of that original script. Um, so I think it's funny that in within you know, two thousand four two thousand five, that you know. Both his original "City at the Edge of Forever" script got translated into a comic book, and his uh, Batman Two Face story got translated into a comic book.
1: Cool. I wonder if there's any others out there unseen. I know,
0: right? Yeah. Maybe maybe he wrote an episode of Twilight Zone and stuff. We haven't. We don't. I'm gonna have to. Well,
1: that up. maybe. Although that's pretty far back. But he is. He, he was probably writing back in the early '60s. Yeah.
0: Uh, probably. I don't know when Twilight Zone was out. Yeah. Was it? Was it not still out in the '60s?
1: Yeah. I think it was the early '60s. It was black and white and stuff. So, um, what prior to nineteen, what, like 1964 and earlier, 1965 and earlier, that's when they started switching over to color. So okay. it must have been in the early '60s. Well, there
0: you go. But, anyways, I just thought that was funny that, that both of those stories got the uh, the comic book adaptation treatment this year. Good.
1: Well, he's a really good writer, so. Yeah, he, he wrote uh, for Babylon 5 and probably other series that I don't know about, we don't know about.
0: Oh, really? He was still writing scripts even even as recent as ba- Babylon 5?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I oh. think he... Ellison was a consultant on the series. So right, not yeah. only did he write multiple scripts, but he was a, uh, a consultant. I guess he and... The, the showrunner of Babylon Five, um, Jay Michael Straczynski. Uh, they, I guess they they got a pretty good relationship, friends, I guess, and stuff.
0: Anyway, and and, and I mixed him up with uh, Robert Highland earlier. He yeah, not right. Starship Troopers. Well, yeah, when you when
1: mentioned that, it was like, oh, I don't <laughs> think that's right. But
0: no, it was not right. Okay. Okay. Whoops.
1: <laughs> okay. But how Should we get on these, guys? Yeah, let's do it. Let's All do it. right, so let's find out what's going on with the N-Vector storyline with issue number three. Published dates, October 2000. Writer is K.W. Jeter. Penciler, Toby Cypress. Inks, Jason Martin and Mark Irwin. Colors by bad at sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. Letterer, Nachme Zand. Editor, Jeff Marriott. The cover features an evil version of DS9, Talon-like metal hooks, at the end of the docking pylons. The rest of the station is black and dark gray, with an almost steampunk aesthetic. What is brought about this transformation? At the bottom is Quark, in a mirrored reflection of himself, looking with concern at what looks like an evil version of his home. A Dracula-looking dude, looks on with folded arms and an evil-looking smile of satisfaction. Nog is at the site of the recent DS9 reactor explosions, looking perplexed at a perfectly functional reactor. He asked the engineering officer how he repaired all the damage so quickly. The engineer reports matter-of-factly that they did not repair it. It fixed itself. Later, Nog is in Colonel Kira's office explaining the total absence of sabotage on the station. She does not believe it. Equipment damage, particularly an exploded reactor, does not just repair itself. What's going on here? A voice of agreement comes from the doorway. It's Commander Jast, and she confirms there is no evidence of sabotage. Kira objects to Jast doing her own investigation but Jass says she has the authority directly from Starfleet to investigate this matter. Questions have been raised about how Kira is running the station. Jass says it is now Kira who is under suspicion, so Kira had better get to the bottom of what's going on immediately. Scene shifts to a shuttle departing DS9. In it is Quark and his new partner, Victor. Quark is happy to take a break from the station, but he asks exactly where they are going. Victor says Quark does not need to worry about it. When they get to their destination and unload their cargo, Quark will be quite impressed with the results. When Victor leaves for another part of the shuttle, Quark notices the strange box that glows from within. He begins to open it, but the yellow glow that begins to come out of the box freaks him out, and he closes it with a thud. The possession, or perhaps evil cologne, of Julian comes by O'Brien's cell and releases him. Miles can't believe all the evidence against him has just vanished. Julian says the reason he is free is not that important, just the fact that he is free. He tells Miles to say hello to his wife Keiko for him, and turns to walk away. Miles just stands there, until a voice behind him says, It does not seem like him, does it? That's because he is not. It's Esri Dax. Miles and Esri go to Colonel Kira's office where they attempt to convince her that the person walking around as Dr. Bashir is not Julian. Kira tries to convince them maybe the issue is with O'Brien and Esri. She tells them not to dredge up any more issues over the disappearing sabotage damage. Kira says Starfleet is not pleased over all this and the sooner it's forgotten the better. They leave Kara's office, not knowing what to make of it. Quickly, they are accosted by the Romulan Dr. Sene. He says he is the man with the answers they need to save their friend. He tells them about the viroid infection of Julian. Now that they all know about the viroid, they try to figure out what to do about it. Meanwhile, in a very empty part of the Alpha Quadrant, Quark begins to ask what they are doing out in the middle of nowhere. There is no one here to buy the junk they stole from the Romulans on the station. Dump the junk into space, followed by the box filled with the yellow glowing ooze. Quark sees the box open and the contents start to come out. The contents stretch out of the box like the stalk from Jack's Bean. Quark is dumbfounded to witness the construction of a space station all by itself. Its general shape looks like Deep Space Nine, but more organic more frightening, more evil. The docking pylons end in menacing blades like huge raptor claws. It's all black and dark gray. All Quark can say is, now that's what I call real estate. Back at the real DS9, Dr. Sine is doing far more talking than O'Brien and Esri. He warns if they don't stop Viroid here and now, it will become too powerful. There will be much worse to come. O'Brien says they have to get it out of Julian. Dr. Sine says precisely, and says they must get it out of Julian and into a container that he has prepared for just this purpose. O'Brien and Esri do not trust Dr. Sine to not hurt Julian in the process of capturing the Veroid, but they have no other options. They complete their plans. Sine's diplomatic pass gets the doctor and Miles aboard the Defiant. Miles goes to carry out his part of the plan, as does Dr. Sine. Miles sneaks into engineering and begins his sabotage. Dr. Sine goes to a large room where the attendees are a mix of Romulan and Starfleet personnel in dress uniforms. It's a formal reception. Julian is speaking with a group of Romulans discussing medical research cooperation. Sine begins to directly talk in public about Julian not being who he pretends to be. He talks about Julian's failure to completely cover up his secret plans that include sabotage of the station. An officer informs Commander Jast of an overload condition in the ship's main reactor. Jast demands that Sine explain what he is talking about. With the room's attention shifted, Julian bolts out of the room. He arrives at engineering and finds O'Brien at the controls. He tells O'Brien he should have left when he had the chance, and he leaps on the engineer. He is choking O'Brien to death. Other Starfleet officers come in with bright blue hair and pull Bashir off. Jass says it seems doctor Sine was correct. Sine injects Bashir with the therapeutic Sine injects Bashir with the therapeutic death serum he tried to inject Bashir with in a previous issue. Later in sickbay, Bashir awakens. Esri is there, and she fills him in on what happens. Sine was successful in bottling up the viroid. Bashir asserts, then it's all over then. Ezri says, no, it's still out there. Scene shifts to DS9's evil twin. Cue the dramatic closing music. Da, 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 to be continued.
0: So they wrapped it up pretty fast. I thought.
1: Um, it out of Bashir and yes, yes, and then cueing it to show you what the new threat, the remaining threat, truly is.
0: Right. Now that last shot is that the um, the new one because it doesn't look all deformed and. Bizarro looking. It doesn't? Does it? Looks pretty normal. I mean... I'm oh, honest. you're right. Sorry.
1: Yeah, that that's my mistake. It didn't... It should have done that, though. Why didn't they do that? Yeah, you're completely right, Donovan.
0: It's it's oh. the real
1: DS9. It's just showing an external shot of the, the ship. And the Defiant with wings.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, my yeah, mistake. I agree with Thanks. you. It
0: should have been the other one. Because that, that's what it would make more sense when he said, it's still out there. but.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Why didn't they do that? Come on. That's the threat. Show the threat. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> so, as far as I'm concerned, this is really... Okay, I'm Obviously, I think that the writer has taken inspiration, mostly from the Dracula story. And I know I've said this in, in the previous episode, but it's even more reinforced now. But then... There are elements of Frankenstein also that's sneaking into this and I just find it very interesting.
0: All right so aside from Victor's outfit, what, what yes. makes you think that he acts like Dracula?
1: Oh, okay, so here's my list. Okay. So I'm gonna bounce I'm gonna bounce back and forth of the things I saw in this story that come from both the Frankenstein and the Dracula story. So okay, obviously number one, look how the guy's dressed. I know you don't agree with me, and I really... I mean, look at the cover! Look at him, with his arms folded. He looks like Dracula. I i, I don't know why you don't really see that. Uh, but. I,
0: I can see it. I just—I told you that's just not what I...
1: Okay, that's, I, that's fine. It, it okay, did not fine.
0: jump out at me as that it was Dracula.
1: Okay, so there you go. Look at how he's dressed. I think it's obvious for okay. Uh His name is Victor. Now, mind you, Victor Frankenstein. But still, close enough. You know, uh... I mean, they couldn't call him Dracula. I mean, come on. That would be too over the top. But he is a Victor, with a Q, which you got to make it a little different. It's, it's like kind of spacey. I guess the Q makes it spacey. Q instead of a C, but whatever. Um, he appears to be able to take over people's minds like Bashir and Quark at the beginning of the story arc. So, I mean, that's a Dracula thing. You know, being able to control people's minds to some degree, uh, like hypnotism or something. I also want to just mention that at one point I was wondering if it was more a pod person kind of thing, where duplicates were out there, but you know, because because of the oozy kind of uh, Quark thing that came out of the box in a right. previous issue. But it really does, ap- well, as we'll see, it really does appear to be he's taking over people as opposed to replacing them. But it's kind of confusing a little bit, but whatever. Quark is basically Rensfield. You know, so remember the little minion of Dracula that keeps on eating bugs and stuff, uh, who's well, who's doing things for him during the, uh, you know, during the day and stuff? Um And and that's kind of like Quark is, but, you know, he is completely taken over at the beginning of the story. But then he's a willing participant because he thinks he's going to make a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of money, a lot of platinum. But I saw him as being Rensfield. Agree, disagree?
0: Well, he's short in stature, and and I guess he kind of fits the same role, sure. Okay.
1: So the the, uh, Romulan xenobiologist, Dr. Sine, is obviously Dr. Van Helsing. So Van Helsing is the guy that always, in the Dracula story, in the, the movie at least, that seemed to know what the vampire was and how to take care of him. So he obviously did that role. Uh, and there was even a, like, a mano scene mano scene where, uh, where Sine was confronting Bashir and saying, I know what you are. Or no, actually, no, he... Uh, uh, that's not quite right. He did a mano a thing where he was trying to get it out of Bashir, but little did he know that it was already in Bashir. So there was a point there where they were like, like, you know, mano-a-mano interacting, and there's a very similar uh, interaction where Van Helsing confronts uh, Dracula in the 1932 or whatever movie uh, by a fireplace and stuff. So I thought that was, you know... He's Van Helsing, so... And, um... Okay, that's the end of my list. Hmm.
0: Comments? So the only only Frankenstein reference is Victor.
1: Oh yeah, okay. Sorry. There's one more thing. So Victor, but also as we'll find out in the next issue, I probably shouldn't mention this now, but I'm gonna do it anyway. It's Sine's tampering with the uh Viroid that finally in attempting to weaponize it. Uh So, the current version of the Veroid is partially a creation of uh, Sine. Right. So, basically, he is also Dr. Frankenstein. So, at part of the story, he's Van Helsing. He's playing the Van Helsing character. And at another point, you find out that, oh, he's also uh, Frankenstein. And, by the way, um, okay, I'm not going to go any further, but... (laughs) <laughs> what ultimately happens to Sine is the same thing that happens to Frankenstein at the end.
0: Oh, no. Mm,
1: okay, well, we'll come back to that at the end.
0: Yeah, we'll come back to
1: it. We'll come back to that, that at the end. Very
0: yeah, uh, interesting uh, thoughts. I had not uh, I had not thought either one of those, so. Well. And, and I see your point. I mean, I can. I'm not going to disagree with anything you say, but
1: yeah, but it's, that's, it's not
0: something that jumped out at me, and that's fine. It, you know,
1: uh, I think we've said before there's really nothing new to quote uh, Shakespeare. Um, people just kind of rehash ideas, so I, I, I think the author got some inspiration, and that's quite frankly something I really liked about the story. I mean, you know, you didn't really know where this Veroid thing was going ultimately, so I, I was kind of digging it. I mean, this was obviously a clear clear threat to the station and maybe even the, the quadrant but um, that's what I liked about it
0: hmm. yeah, g- good point I mean uh, the, the only thing I, I could see like classic movie monsters in this in this issue is that uh, Dr. Sine looks like Vincent Price I thought ah! yeah, with the mustache and good the point. face and things like that there you go
1: yeah he does kind of look like good point I hadn't really uh, made that connection
0: Very good points. Yeah. Uh,
1: so, um, something I was kind of surprised about is when uh, Bashir and Sine, the, the infected Bashir and Sine, had their interaction in the previous issue, I thought the viroid would do something with Sine. Either infect him, or somehow make sure he didn't interfere with the Veroid's plans. But he apparently didn't do anything. Right. Which is like, that's not very smart for an evil intelligent entity.
0: Yeah, no. Especially one that's going to eventually uh, be able to stop you. Well, yes, or it has the potential to.
1: And in the end, he does. Anyway. I mean, the, 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 the Veroid's biggest asset is that nobody believes what he can do and that he even exists but here's a guy that knows what you are and actually create partially created you so it's like you're just gonna let him go anyway
0: right right which is definitely contradictory to the fourth issue in the in the final ending it doesn't make any sense why he would let sene live yeah which we'll talk about right momentarily
1: yeah, and another thing, he goes in and and act, and spends his time to actively release Miles. It's like, when Bashir first gets involved, I think Bashir is not infected. I mean, he's, you know, he's himself, and he's trying to help his friend. But at this point, he's obviously infected. So, why does he even bother going to Miles and let him go? I mean, can't somebody else do that? I mean... He's not
0: security staff. He's
1: the ship's doctor.
0: Yeah, maybe he was ordered to do it, and he has to keep up the pretense.
1: Right, but when he does it, he says, oh, thanks, Miles. Uh, Say hi to Keiko for me, as if, like, they're just working. They just have a a professional relationship. Right. So, you know, obviously that was the big thing for Miles. I mean, because he knew they had such a good, close relationship. The real Julian wouldn't just leave it at that. I don't know.
0: Right. I guess they just had to have that, you know, they had to do that so that, that Ezri and Miles can have the conversation about him not being him. Right. And as far as why he didn't kill Sine, uh, I mean, and this is kind of stretching a little bit, but maybe the Veroid takes on a little bit of the person's personality. And oh. Hmm. I think Bashir may think that he's so much better than everybody else that he can't be beaten by someone else and, and oh. so he's just kind of being or his do not kill you know somehow is is still there and, and yeah. kept him from doing it I don't know right or or
1: maybe he senses that he has at least as much enough of a relationship with Miles that you know he should be letting him go or something I don't know yeah
0: that's a good point don't know it, it, it's not said anywhere so yeah it's all speculation
1: so I was kind of wondering about the shots of the defiant when they sneak on when they go on board um, in in engineering as well as in that that reception room it looks like kind of a big area. I'm used to the interiors of the defiant being purposely made mm, a little bit more on the the cramped side. Uh so the bridge is is decently spacious, but I always had the in impression that a lot of the interiors on the defiant was not any bigger than it had to be because you know they wanted to make it a small starship for fighting but uh these interiors look big that kind of threw me off a little bit
0: right so i must have missed it they're on this this reception is on the defiant yeah and not deep space nine right yeah yeah good point
1: they 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 snuck onto the defiant now, why they would have a reception on the Defiant, as opposed to the station, I don't know. Uh, especially since it's, you know, a little more close quarters in the Defiant.
0: Right. But, right. Um, yeah. yeah. I always thought of the Defiant as kind of being a submarine where there's right. no wasted space. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah, I didn't catch that they were on the Defiant. I thought they were just in the space station.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they say they're using his diplomatic uh, whatever to get onto the Defiant.
0: Right, I do remember them saying that. Okay. Hmm. All right. Well, what did you think of the uh, the morphing of the uh, space station, the fake space station?
1: Well, I thought the whole thing was very hard to swallow. I mean, this whole the whole nature of the Veroid. I don't know. It, it's a little over the top. I mean, it seems to be able to do almost anything. It has an amazing uh, bag of tricks. What do you think of it?
0: Well, it's one thing to be able to bend metal or whatever, or even you know change your shape to look like metal. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which it seemed like it kind of switched as to what it was doing depending on the panel. <laughs> but here, obviously, it's like creating metal. It's yeah. Like, they threw in a couple, couple of scrap metal out there. Then suddenly it's able to expand into the whole space station. Yes. And it's somewhat yep. functional because it's what? able to have oxygen. It's exactly. Have electricity. Power. And it's not just a shell. Right. Which um, I, I, don't, I don't care for that too much. Yeah, I'm not too crazy I, about I, that. I don't see how you can infect somebody with a virus that changes your brain and infect metal. That can then be taken out, and the metal would go back to its original shape, and then yeah. also just create uh, this massive space station out of almost nothing.
1: Right. And also, I assume that the whole infection of the space station in so many different places was for the viroid to learn how those parts of the station worked. Right. And the fact that they were uh, – they looked like they were sabotaged – was just a side effect of this process of learning you know how everything works so it can duplicate it later
0: apparently i guess i guess too but but why i mean they they kind of explained it in the next issue but i I didn't buy the explanation right at the end of the story i was
1: kind of wondering so what's going to happen next are they going to have a big space battle you know are they going to take the defiant a lot of warships and blow it the heck or uh or what you know what's going to happen. I mean, and the other thing that kind of occurred to me is, well, okay. So, I mean, the Veroy didn't. I mean, yes, there was an explosion that happened, and that explosion I got a big question about. But um, for the most part, the Veroy doesn't seem like it's trying to kill people. It seems almost like it's trying to learn what it can from Deep Space Nine and just and just create a home for itself. So that idea of well, maybe it's just an entity that's trying to live without really necessarily hurting anyone, um, you know, could be going on also. So it may not be the ultimate evil, but maybe Sine is just making it out to be the ultimate evil. Um, but who knows? That's what I was thinking at the end of this issue.
0: Right? Yeah. Maybe he's you know, he's not all that trustworthy.
1: Right, so is the real villain going to turn out to be Sane? So who knows? Anyway,
0: well, we'll find out here in a, here in a bit.
1: Yes, That's all I thought to say about this one.
0: I will say, even though I didn't like the scene, I did like the artwork of the station coming together and being grown out of out of nothing, and, and, right. and visually, it was a cool concept. I just uh, story wise w- wasn't my favorite part of the story. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like I said at the very beginning, the Veroid thing being completely taken off the station, the real Deep Space Nine, because you took out, took it out of Bashir, just seemed like a very quick wrap-up. Right. Which, which made this, this next issue seem kind of like a... And, you know, unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah, they could have wrapped it up. Anyway.
1: And that's another interesting point. Most of the viroid leaves in the box. It comes out of the station apparently, and really the only vestige of it is left in Bashir. And then the main part, Victor goes off with Quark, and by the way, why is Quark there? Off to make the space station in another part. So why was Bashir left infected? Why was part of the viroid left in Julian? How was that part of the grand plan? I don't know, but I'm going to ask this question again at the end of the next issue.
0: Right, but in regards to Bashir being infected, I mean Bashir was already infected before he went to that fan blade that was was all warped and everything. And I, I got it that there was other parts of the station that were still, you know, showing signs of damage. Not just that one fan blade that that the infected Bashir. Oh yeah. Again, touched. So,
1: well, okay, I thought. Th- I thought the station was infected before Bashir was infected. I agree, but yeah.
0: but Bashir was infected before he went and touched that fan blade. Oh, yeah, completely. So, I completely agree with that. I don't. I have a hard time saying that when he touched the fan blade, all of the infection for the whole station went back into Bashir when they already oh. established that Bashir was already infected. So yeah, I didn't. Would they, why would it need to consolidate itself into Bashir if he was already well, infected? And I
1: don't I, – did it do that? I didn't know it did that.
0: I don't know. They're talking about how – you know, part of the station's all—all all the stations being fixed by itself. And well, uh,
1: but was that a function of Victor having his ooze and all packing it up on the shuttle and then leaving? You know, so so did all the the viroidness uh, leave the station and go to the box?
0: Well, didn't Victor already leave before Bashir touched the fan blade?
1: <sighs> I'd have to go back and look at the last issue. I don't know. But. Um,
0: so you're saying that Vic- Victor leaving is what took all all but that one fan blade and Bashir out of the station.
1: That's what I'm saying. I could be wrong, but that's what I thought.
0: That's good as as good as an excuse as anything.
1: Well, while you're reading the next one, I could, or doing the synopsis, I could go and look at issue two. Okay. And try to figure that out.
0: All right. Well, then I'll go ahead and move into issue four while you're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: okay. So the thrilling, the thrilling wrap up.
0: Indeed. So this came out in November of 2000. The uh, writing staff and the art staff is all the same. Uh, the cover, maybe one of the more simplistic covers on this uh, this miniseries, just shows Quark running along a catwalk and he's kind of looking over his shoulder. Not a lot going on. So the story starts off on Deep Space Nine, the real Deep Space Nine. Kira, O'Brien, Bashir, Nog, and Dax are talking about how the station is now completely free of the Veroid. Kira orders O'Brien back to Earth, and she will not allow him to question these orders. The Romulan doctor, Sene, arrives and tells them that they still need to help him capture the rest of the Veroid, and he knows where it is. On the invector vector created Deep Space Nine, Quark has lost his mysterious partner, Victor, and he walks through the bizarre station. He starts to regret his involvement in this business venture. Back on The Real Deep Space Nine, Sine tells the crew the story of the Veroid. He says that he discovered it, and then he started to experiment with it, and he gave it its morphogenic properties. It can change shape, but it cannot retain the shape for long before it needs to be reabsorbed into the main Viroid. He states that the Viroid would want to create a very large structure, and then eventually break apart into spores that will then float through the cosmos and infect other planets. Kira sees no option but to help the Romulan. Back on the Bizarro version of Deep Space 9, Quark decides to leave. He finds out that the shuttle he arrived on has been absorbed by the station. He then finds a computer console that has active communication functionality, and he tries to contact someone for help. Nog and Bashir head away with Zane from the station, aboard a shuttlecraft or runabout. As they approach where Sine thinks the Viroid would have gone, they receive a communication from Cork. Sine tells the Ferengi that since he was once controlled by the Viroid in the past, he is immune to the Viroid infection. Before he can give any more detail, the communication is cut off by the Invector itself. As Cork walks the halls again, the Invector creates shapes of Bashir and O'Brien. They grab the Ferengi and take him to a table and try to tie him down. The little man fights, but he's overpowered. Suddenly, the station is rocked when Nog pilots the shuttle straight into the station. Nog, Bashir, and Sine arrive. Sine tells everyone to get back to the shuttle before the Veroid goes dormant and implodes on itself. The Romulan pulls out a gun and orders them to leave him. Reluctant, the Deep Space Nine crew do so and depart just as the space station folds in on itself and vanishes. Later, on Deep Space Nine, Ezri Dax and Bashir talk about how the Veroid is only dormant and may one day return. The final shot shows Quark complaining that he still has all the debt that he opened while under the influence of the Veroid. The end. Well, that was wrapped up handy, wasn't it? It was. Didn't you think that they could have tacked that on to the last issue?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Easily easily not only do they just swing by just in time to pick up quark but very handily dr Sine decides to continue on in the station as it's uh, obviously rocking and rolling and who knows what's going to happen to it right and then yep. it, it collapses in on dr frankenstein with his monster and just boop, goes away very handy ending
0: yeah, I can see the, the Frankenstein uh, parallels there.
1: Yeah. So I, I wasn't crazy about the ending, but I guess it was expeditious. And of course the whole idea about it breaking up and like infecting the Alpha Quadrant with its n-vector pieces, it's like, oh, okay. So Sinay said that. That was the game plan. So I guess he was right. I mean, did did Victor actually ever verbally talk about that? I don't think he did.
0: To Quark? No, Victor didn't say anything in this whole issue. Yeah. He just kind of in the shadows, then he melts into the wall at one point. Yeah,
1: it's right. It's like, and he just goes dormant. Really? Okay. Not even putting up a fight. Okay.
0: Yeah. Right. And they say that the reason why it goes dormant is because too many people know about it. And mm-hmm. so it has to go dormant so that people will, will not know that it exists. Which, like I said, in the last issue, Sine knew who Bashir was and knew all about the Veroid, but the Veroid didn't bother to take him out.
1: No, and it didn't go dormant either. Right. Mm.
0: So, a uh, little contradictory, those two endings.
1: Yeah. Well, another thing that's kind of confusing is you're completely right – Victor and Quark leave the station with the magic box prior to the bashir Sine scenes. And the station obviously still has at least some of the infected warped equipment inside the station. Right. So
0: So so maybe once Bashir became – I don't know. Maybe Bashir walked around the station and picked it all up, but I still don't understand why it would all go into him and – if it's like a hive mind type
1: thing, well, did it have to go into him? I don't understand. Uh, you know, what, what was he doing with those Romulans that he was hanging out with at that reception, talking about like research aid or something? Was that like another path by which the Veroid was hoping to infect, spread, yeah. spread it? Yeah, spread itself into Romulan space. I'm not quite sure.
0: Maybe. don't know. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. All all I know is that I was confused through most of uh, the Veroids um, storyline. Yeah. And I was really confused that why you would create a space station to begin with. Right. And how on earth it functions. How does it have oxygen? How does it have life support? How does it have gravity? How does it have working communication components? Yep.
1: Yeah, if all you're going to do is blow it up so you've got metal shards to go throughout the Alpha Quadrant and infect other places, why bother with all the rest of it? Yeah, exactly. Why why bother having life support? Why bother having communications equipment? All you want to do is have infected metal. Right. Yeah. Good point. I don't get it.
0: But, again, same as last issue. Visually, it looks cool. It looks cool with, yeah. uh, you know, the the pylons looking like, cl- you know, three-fingered claws and things like that. I mean, it, it visually, very interesting uh, to see this warped version of Peace Space Nine.
1: Yeah, I agree. And the thing about the claws, huge, huge claws at the end of the docking pylons. It's like, that looks cool, but I don't see how that's functional. Right. Unless they're trying to say, rather than a docking thing, it's like a Venus flytrap that grabs ships? I don't know. Kind of weird.
0: Yeah, just visually interesting story, maybe not so much.
1: Right. Another thing that's interesting in the artistry area not really matching up with what makes sense is... I don't know if you noticed this, but on PDF page 5, the left page has uh, a GamePro ad... But the right page has the story. And in the very center panel of that page, it shows Bashir, apparently, speaking to Sine. And then Kira, of course, typically drawn horribly, is, is beneath. But look at Bashir. It, he the, looks
0: like he's redheaded?
1: He looks like a redheaded woman. Or maybe a redheaded guy dressed up kind of like a girl. I don't know. It's like the worst drawing, I think, of Bashir that I've ever seen. It looks nothing like Bashir. It...
0: Yeah, no, and I was just reading through it. I thought that was O'Brien, but no, you're right. It is It is supposed to be Bashir. I th- Well,
1: based on what he's saying to Sine, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And plus, in the next panel right next to it is clearly Bashir speaking to Sine. Right.
0: right. So
1: that's supposed to be Bashir, but it don't look nothing like Bashir.
0: Well, it is supposed to be a reflection off of the, you know, the... Uh, well, it's not glass, it's, um you know, Transparent aluminum? No, eh,
1: no, we're oh, going with force, force field? fields now. Okay, fine, 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 force field.
0: So maybe when you're reflected through a force field... You look like you a red-headed woman? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I I mean, was that for fun or something? Did he purposely draw it that way, like an Easter egg, just to see if anybody would notice? I don't know.
0: Well, this. It's a very different art style, and everything looks a little off. So, or a lot off in this case. A lot off, most mostly a lot off. <laughs> <laughs> mm, sorry, I mean no, nobody looks like who they're supposed to be. So, no,
1: but at least they're in spit and distance. So you could pretty much you can tell Bashir is Bashir, and you can tell Kira is Kira, even though she looks horrible. Um, but. Well, but like we said, the last issue, the first time we see O'Brien, I had no idea that was O'Brien. Right. Of course, the fact he was in civvies kind of helped that along, but.
0: Right. Well, I mean, when when the Veroid makes those two forms that end up grabbing Quark, I said in the synopsis that it was Bashir and O'Brien, but it doesn't say that anywhere, and they don't really look like either one of them. Right. Uh, Just one's, you know, reddish blonde hair and one's dark haired. And I picked those two because, you know, uh, the Veroid had at one point controlled both of them. So I thought, well, maybe it has its genetic makeup and they can make a, a copy a, a copy of them. But I don't know for sure if that's what the artist and the uh, author was going for. Right. Cork never says, hey, you look like Bashir. And when the real Bashir shows up, he he's never acts like – well, he does say, oh, the real one, so maybe – Maybe it definitely is supposed to be fake Bashir and fake O'Brien. What were they even there for? The fake O'Brien and fake Bashir. What were they even there for? Just to put Quark on that table. But what were they going to do to him? Don't know.
1: (laughs) Why was he even there on the station? I mean, he had all the junk loaded up on the uh, shuttle.
0: Right, yeah, I don't know why why he took... Quark. Quark.
1: Yeah, if all he was going to do is build up the station and blow it up so all the parts go flying, what do you need Quark for
0: that for? Uh, I don't know. I, I do like your Renfield analogy. that You just need someone to uh, make sure your coffin doesn't get tampered with right. in the day. <laughs> right. Anyway. <sighs> so,
1: I just had another comment. Okay. Uh, the, Sine's expedition that takes off to the evil DS9... That runabout looks like garbage. It doesn't. E- it doesn't even have nacelles the first time we see it. Now later on, they bother putting nacelles on it, but it doesn't even have nacelles. So it's like you're messing with me, artist guy. You're messing with me when you start messing up the all, all the ships too.
0: Anyway, so messing up the people are. All fine and good, but when you... No,
1: no, no. I think a line's been passed. I mean, between the wings on Defiant and the runabouts that sometimes have nacelles and sometimes don't, I'm just not happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I I agree with you. It's a different style. Yes. That's all I have to say about this one. All right. um, I think I'm done, aside from... No, we already talked about Victor not really doing anything. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I would like to wish they would have clarified is exactly what the viroid was before Sine found it. Because he all he says is that when I found it, it was already powerful. Hmm. Where did you find it? What is it? I need a little bit more to go on than just I found it this way and I gave it the morphogenic properties. Right. And, you know. Like we mentioned last episode, it would have been really cool if they somehow tied it in with the changelings. As far as yeah, I, I was able to somehow take the genetic makeup of a changeling and give it to this viral. Right. That I just would have liked more there yeah. explanation.
1: Because definitely, as I was as I was going through this, I, it definitely occurred to me that is this some kind of changeling thing going on? You know, when Quark was impersonated or influenced, wasn't sure which at the time. You know, what, was this some kind of changeling thing? Yeah, right. That that would have been cool. If, if they would have had that angle to, to explain things a little better, at least with something.
0: Right, right. Mm. But it's all magic, I guess, because that's as much explanation as any that they're going to give us. Exactly.
1: So overall, I got more used to the artwork, but I still don't like it. The story was kind of cool in parts, but... Not crazy about the ending, but eh, it's fine. In the end, I didn't like it as much as I thought I was going to like it when I was, like, halfway through.
0: Right. Uh, unfortunately, I think it, it kind of falls in the same category as uh, the last Next Generation miniseries we did. Right. I thought it started off really good, and then it kind of just either petered out or just gave you too many endings. Because mm. you know, on that one, the third issue... Pretty much wrapped up everything, and then the fourth issue was just suddenly a new villain. The Lacutus was the the bad guy all of a sudden in the last issue, which – which and then all the other – the real villain on the planet was just kind of like a side story that got wrapped up in one panel. And this was kind of the same thing. Here all along, Sine and the Veroid on the station is your bad guy, and then in the last issue, we're really just trying to get Quark off the station before it implodes. Right. It's kind of like – a I don't know. It just seems a little, a little weird way. A to little it. anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, the Killing Shadows doesn't do that to me again. I hey, agree. I'm not saying that I didn't like those two stories. I did like them. Just they both kind of the the fourth issue. I think on both of those miniseries was the weakest of the four.
1: Right. Yep. Kind of petered <laughs> out. So let's hope the Killing Shadows goes all the way.
0: It starts to off go-
1: good to goodness. Especially in the first half, but I got to say, even by the second half of the first issue, I'm, I'm well, let, let's 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 do the story <laughs> and then we can comment on it. Yeah, let's do that. Excellent. Okay, so I'll be synopsizing the Killing Shadows number one, the trap. Published date November two thousand. Creative team Scott Siensen. That's a very interesting name. Penciler Andrew Curry. Inks, Brian Hitch, Chris Chukri, and Digital Chameleon. Colors by Wildstorm FX, Chris Chukri, and Digital Chameleon. Letterer, Nachme Zand. Editor, Jeff Marriott. The upper half of the cover shows Picard's head, Data's head and upper torso, and the Enterprise E. The lower half features Worf in a defiant attack posture with a batleth in his right hand he is definitely out of uniform and is in some kind of golden colored superhero outfit with a rust colored cape at the very bottom are many warriors in what looks like armor bearing their swords at the reader they are mostly in darkness except for the bright orange accents on their outfits and sword hilts montag nine A Federation Science Outpost, Geosciences Lab, 19 staff members. A team of three Starfleet security personnel are firing their phasers at a blast door trying to enter the lab that was sealed when Security Prime Alpha was triggered by someone. They hear screams of people dying inside. Their urgency quickens, but so does their apprehension. Just as the door opens, one of the Starfleet security team members falls to his knees, saying that he can see what someone else is seeing in his mind. He screams, they can't be stopped. The door opens all the way, and the two other security people rush in. Scene cuts to the USS Enterprise. Data watches and tries to understand as Picard consoles a crew member whose husband has just died. She believes she will be with her husband again when her own life ends. Their souls will be dancing among the stars. Picard agrees with her belief. She departs. Data's ship provides him with a variety of emotions that he too is trying to understand. He tells his captain that beliefs appear to be highly important to human condition. Yet beliefs are such an ephemeral concept. Picard, in his mentor role, says... We all have beliefs in something, though exactly what we believe in are often very different from person to person. Data asks what Picard believes. Picard begins, but is interrupted by his comm badge. An urgent communication from Starfleet is awaiting his attention. Picard says he will take it in his ready room. Thirty minutes later in the observation lounge, Picard addresses his senior staff. Nineteen people were just killed in a third such attack on impregnable Federation research facilities. The killers have left no trace of their identity except for a drawing they displayed on the viewscreen. It was a drawing of shadowy figures with swords. A murdered Betazoid researcher was able to mentally transmit the image into a guard's mind before the Betazoid died. The drawing identified the Slayers as the Bodai Shin, which means killing shadows. A league of assassins whose very existence was unconfirmed until now. Picard says they are heading to a nearby planet where intelligence reports another scientist has been targeted by the Bodai Shin. They have also been informed that an ally will be meeting them who is already on planet. Their mission is to take Dr. Nogori on board the Enterprise, where he will be kept safe. Unfortunately, the good doctor refuses to be taken aboard any starship, even for his own protection. Picard will beam down to reason with the man. And given the likely Bodai presence, he will not be going alone. Picard, Data, and a security team beam down to Nidaris. A planet who, like Earth's moon, has a stable orbit and rotation that eternally shows one side to their star and the other one to the black of space. Naturally, Dr. Nogori is in the dark side of the city of Equinox. So that is where Picard's away team searches for him. They find him in a very public, open restaurant with many people milling around. They join the doctor at his table and find out the doctor has studied the Bodai Shin. He compares them to ancient earth ninjas. Very well trained, fiercely loyal to their order, quite sophisticated and single-minded when they accept a target. They prefer to keep in the shadows and isolate their victims, where they can kill them with no witnesses. Picard says all the more reason to accept their offer and come to the Enterprise, where he can be protected. Naguri again refuses and explains that the Bodai Shin value their anonymity. Hiding in plain sight with as many potential witnesses about will not be as enticing a setting for them to murder him. In fact, he says he feels much more comfortable down here in the open than on the Enterprise. Meanwhile in orbit, the flagship of the Federation is under attack from dozens of formidable and fast fighter ships. They attack with no warning and bring down the Enterprise's shields to 20%. Riker says he is done trying to communicate with them. Open fire on as many targets as we can acquire. After seeming to destroy many of the smaller ships, more ships take their place. It's like fighting clowns rushing out of a small car. On the planet, Data agrees with the Doctor's assessment. He is safer on the planet, but safe is a relative term. The waiter brings the Doctor his check, but turns out to be a Bodai Shin in disguise. His sword comes down on the table to scatter the occupants. The security team draws their phasers. Well-placed explosions detonate. Chaos ensues. Data uses his speed and strength to take out several of the bodai, but more join the fight. Picard grabs a fallen sword and joins the fight to defend the doctor. Worf improbably shows up with a batleth just ready to join the fight. The last of the security officers are killed by the Bodai Shin. Picard, Worf, Data, and the Doctor make a hasty exit out of the building and into the alleyways. Meanwhile, Riker and Geordi figure out that most of the ships attacking the Enterprise are projections. They have been wasting their shots on projected decoys. They figure out how to identify the real ships and start inflicting real damage. One of the Bodai ships impacts into the Enterprise's shuttle bay. Emergency teams in life support suits find no intruders in the bay and no life in the crashed ship. Meanwhile on the planet, the four are at a fast walking pace from the restaurant. The doctor realizes the gravity of his situation. They really tried to kill me. The card cannot raise the Enterprise. They decide to make for the doctor's laboratory that is within a fortified bunker. The Doctor divulges what he has been working on. A transporter system capable of transporting an entire city or even world to any other point. Imagine the next time the Borg attack, we can move the target city or planet out of harm's way before they can be assimilated. Data points out that technology could be perverted into planet-destroying weaponry. The Doctor scoffs at the notion. He is trying to protect life. Multiple eyes suddenly attack. They kill the Doctor immediately, while Worf, Data, and Picard are busy with other bodai. Seeing the Doctor's impaled body hanging from a wall, Picard gets angry and starts to take off after the bodai. Inexplicably, Worf and Data fall behind the aging Picard. Meanwhile on the Enterprise, Deanna senses a void of feelings, which might be explained by her being apparently alone in a dark hallway, but she still thinks it's odd. She turns out to be right as a bodai comes out of the shadows for her. Back on Nidaris, Picard is isolated in an alley by two bodai. Despite him being isolated in an alley, he thinks he can't use his phaser in fear of hitting innocent bystanders. Instead, he grabs a handy metal rod about as long as he is tall. He proceeds to take on two bodai alone. During the fight, the Bodai tell Picard that they not only took Dr. Nagori's life, but somehow they were able to take all of his research, too. They also make it clear that they want Picard dead because he is a witness to the murder. Picard is doing such a great job of kicking a dollar sign dollar sign that one of the Bodai resorts to throwing an exploding ninja, or should I say Bodai, Shin, throwing star amazingly the throwing star that should have lodged in picard and blown him to bits explodes far enough away from picard that he is only knocked to the ground more bodai join the fight and have picard surrounded just when all seems lost data and war finally catch up at oh no actually a blonde-headed green jumpsuited ninja lady jumps out into the fight using the elements of surprise amazing fighting abilities and a spear the new fighter is able to kick enough bodai a dollar sign dollar sign that the remaining bodai team of 4 beam out of the area picard thanks his savior who he correctly surmises is the ally that they were to meet on planet what he did not surmise is that the ally turns out to be tasha yard's daughter sela to be continued. Bum bum bum. Is that Sela or Sela? Sela. S-E-L-A? Yeah. Sela. Yeah. Okay. Okay, what do you think?
0: I, I liked seeing Sela at the end.
1: Uh, I I do too. Yes, I, I do too. It just seems kind of random, but yes.
0: Right. And she lived her whole life as a diplomat um, and a commander, not necessarily a uh, security officer fighter like her, her mother was, so... Yeah, how she learned to be a ninja, I don't know.
1: <laughs> that is one of many things I have a problem with as the story progressed.
0: Right. Sella was a high point for me in this story because cause I thought that they really should have used her in the Star Trek Nemesis storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have made sense if she had something to do with you know the creation of Shizan and all that other stuff. I mean, her character could have fit into that story and made it much more... Plausible and less out of the blue than than what it ended up being, right? You know, because because why did they make a clone of Chee? Why did they make on? She- yeah, you know that uh, uh, did not make sense unless you had some idea of the future that Picard was going to be someone fairly big in thirty years. So I completely agree. Start cloning him now,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was always a problem I had, one of many, with that with that storyline
0: in that movie, right. So, but you didn't like the ninja action.
1: I'd say the first half of the story, maybe the first thirty-five percent of the story, I was digging it. The next-gen crew had a formidable, unexpected enemy—a new enemy we'd never heard of the Bodai Shin before. Very cool, very deadly. A different kind of villain than they normally have to deal with. So, uh, and they were, and the team was taking them head on. So that part I liked. However, all these improbable, stupid things started popping up to kind of keep the, the action going and maybe bringing back some old friends. So, may I list them?
0: Uh, another list, yes, let's do it.
1: A list. Top ten? No, there's not that many. How did Worf and Data go lame and let the significantly older picard get isolated from them it's like what that no i'm sorry i mean they're just i mean you could see them in the background as picard's running off they're like just standing there they're not even fighting anybody so it's like what but picard had to get isolated i just i just think it's weak that that happened i understand why picard had to get isolated whatever uh Worf just happens to be vacation on Nadaris of all the hundreds or even thousands of civilized worlds he could vacation on. And not only that, he just happens to be walking in the right part of town, or it's a city, right? I mean he's it's like being walking in just the right part of Portland, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he just happens to have his batleth ready to go. And he's in his Cape Civilian superhero suit no less. It's
0: like, ah! Yeah, I, thought, lo- I love seeing Worf, but... I, I like the costume, but I did not like him just suddenly showing up. It, it, that was the biggest problem. Or, that was one of the biggest problems I had. Right.
1: Uh, so, one of my biggest problems, too. But it's not my only problem. Let me wrap up.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: Bodai's perplexing swings between phases of being phaser-proof, unstoppable assassins, at the same time... Uh, in another part of the story, that two of them are not able to take an aging captain who couldn't even beat one scientist, Dr. Tolian Sorin, in generations. It's like, uh, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and then, Sella shows up with a spear, and she kicks like four Bodai's butts. Um, it's like, Really? And she does it without Picard's help either. Picard's just standing there like uh oh, what? And uh and then finally, why are Phasers useless weapons all of a sudden? And the only effective weapons in this story are bladed and from as far back as Roman times. I mean Sella comes in using a spear. Ah da ah, ah. and so uh, and of course the exploding ninja star, always fun. So the writer is very into uh ninja kind of characters and and fighting styles that's pretty obvious. I'm done.
0: I did not have a problem with the uh the, the ninja action um, I, I do agree with you that Picard shouldn't have been able to get away and to take out as many as he did aside from that you know it looked cool
1: yeah it it, w- it was all cool and I like ninja stuff I think it's cool. It's just oh my God.
0: But you missed one. Um, Yeah, which one? The incredibly abrupt Riker being attacked by a a, a fleet of these little crafts, just out of nowhere. Right. One panel, they're in the orbit, all's good. They're having lunch down on the planet. (sighs) The next panel, they're in an all-out war in space, and Riker never once tries to contact the, the captain to let him know that what's going on. Right. It just seemed. Very abrupt and out of nowhere, I, I thought.
1: Right. So, so they must have been able to jam communications or something. Uh, but they never say anything about that.
0: Yeah, the only thing they say about not being able to communicate is, right. Uh, Picard says way later that, uh, you know, I can't get a hold of the Enterprise. Right,
1: right. Yep. Yeah, yep.
0: Yeah, that whole fight
1: in space, it's like... Okay, so were these projections actually also firing on the enterprise or i don't think so so I don't think so, either. so there was a much smaller number of real ships that were really firing on them and they were able to bring the enterprise's shields down to 20% uh, Now, we didn't actually witness that we kind of picked up the action you know with the fight in progress but that seemed kind of unlikely but, I mean, these bow ships must be really uh, amazing.
0: Right. They probably throw little ninja stars. That explode? That explode. Ah! And out shields. Of course. That would make more sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, that and Worf showing up were the two big problems I had. Just yeah. Seemed very abrupt and very random. Yeah. Um, and then, at first, I thought when Worf was like, trying to give an explanation as to why he's here and, right. and data and for like don't, don't worry about your cover story. And I have, I thought that might've been like a little jab at like uh, first contact and uh, uh, first contact. I thought had a good explanation as to why Worf shows up, but, um, but insurrection was, was like the stupidest reason ever. He just turns the, turns the corner like, Hey Worf, what are you doing here? I was in the neighborhood. <laughs> I, I, I kind of thought that, that this was supposed to be kind of like a dig at that. Just oh. I was in the neighborhood. Oh, let's not worry about your cover story, Worf, because it's going to be ridiculous no matter what. You know, I, <laughs> I thought well, those were there going with it, and I was like, ah, actually, I kind of like that if that's what, what the case is supposed to be, but yeah. then it ended up not. Then, then they still had a real contact. That, uh, which was right. A,
1: and, and that's what I thought was going on. I thought Picard thought that Worf... Was the contact, and that's why he said, "Don't worry about your cover story."
0: Right, which which he did. That's what right. I thought, but yeah. yeah, Which at that time I think he did. I just right. I like the idea of it just being a dig that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't worry about it because it's it's ridiculous. Just you're here. Yeah, you look awesome in your gladiator outfit. Let's just. Go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it kind of looks like gla- somewhere between a gladiator and a uh, superhero outfit.
0: Right, he looks yeah. good. Oh, I, yeah, I don't yeah, know oh, if Michael it... Dorn's that that built. But
1: uh, yeah, uh, he he's in great shape. But yeah, look at the arms on Worf on the cover. Right, those are some guns on that man.
0: <laughs>
1: so I thought the bowtie almost looked like Cylons, you know, from the rebooted series, because mm-hmm. they're like really improbably improbably thin around the waist and the hip area,
0: and the and the bicep part of their arms. Like their forearms are much bigger than their their upper part of their arms i thought the same thing yeah
1: so i i immediately thought cylons um but i I guess they're supposed to be real people so they just must have very petite waists and popeye arms
0: (laughs) yeah i don't know if they're human or when we see them without the armor they're going to be very alien or what but yeah i was wondering the same thing yeah Popeye arms, I like it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, so <clears throat> this is just a thing I probably knew at one point in time, but I probably forgot it over the years, and I, I am aging. But um, where they first meet at the beginning of the story, you know, around the conference table, I did not remember that was called the observation lounge. So that's the uh, that's like the meeting room area behind the bridge on the oh, Enterprise.
0: Yeah. I just call it conference. I just call it conference room.
1: Well. I thought it was more like a meeting room or something, but they right. clearly call it the observation lounge. And it's like, well, yeah, you you got a nice view, you know, with those curved windows or transparent aluminum or force fields, you know, whatever. Um, but I thought it was more like a meeting room.
0: Right. So is the – so the turbo lift is in between this room and the bridge, and that's, that's it? So that like that little bubble at the top of the ship is half bridge and half this room and – with the turbo and then, in the middle and, and the captain's and then, room it,
1: it, exa- so the captain's ready room which is another thing it's the captain's office what do you mean ready room anyway whatever call whatever you want but but I do kind of like how they had more at the top of the ship than just the bridge
0: right and of course they had
1: that in Enterprise D also but kind of cool anyway I didn't remember it was called the observation lounge so yeah
0: I did not remember that either
1: yeah, so again, I I kind of like that there was a lot of action and there was a formidable opponent. No diplomacy, no helping whales, you know, just, you know, an action kind of uh conflict-driven story. So that's kind of cool. Apparently, the Bodai are stealing the secrets of all these researchers, not only killing them and stopping them to finish their work for the Federation, but they appear to be stealing Whatever research secrets they're doing, what is their ultimate game?
0: Don't know. They're evil. They they
1: they are evil. I think the idea of bad guys going ahead and actively stealing Federation research is kind of cool. You know, kind of makes sense. I mean, who appears to have a lot of money? Hey, and has a lot of cool tech. Hey, the Federation. Well, let's go and start stealing it systematically. I think it's that's kind of an interesting idea
0: yeah it, it, and it could be that they're doing it for the right reason, right this whatever it is is going to be so dangerous that we can't put it in anybody's hands, so we're going to all these places and and yeah, we're doing horrible things by killing people, but we're doing it for the greater good because because <coughs> the, the doctor did kind of when he was you know uh, talking up ninjas. You know, he did say they had a—they were very honorable people, even though their their honor might have been a little skewed, you know, right. depending on on who you ask. But they themselves were very honorable, so I'm hmm. kind of wondering if you know that's going to play into it. That, right. That yes, they're doing horrible things, but from their point of view, it's for the greater good, and not for because they're evil and and they're doing it for themselves. Yeah. So kind of like a Eye
1: Snowden kind of thing.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Of course, some people may not think Snowden uh, did, did the right thing, but I do. Anyway, um, yeah, interesting. I thought of them as more evil characters, but that's an interesting point. They may be doing it for the greater good, although they are assassins. But yeah, could be.
0: We'll just have to wait and see.
1: It's going to be interesting when this all unfolds and we find out. Because these guys seem more to me; they seem more like a, like a tool. To the real villain, who's pulling, you know, just using them to be killing people, uh, as opposed to the Shin Order now having grander aspirations than just being assassins, right? Or in your case, actually trying to protect the greater good. Hmm. So many possibilities.
0: Yes, but we won't. Well, we'll we won't know until next week yes
1: indeed Th- that's the end of my comments on the issue
0: um, well you never did actually mention uh, Troy I mean uh, I-, I just want to do a shout out to your synopsis I liked it <laughs> that she shouldn't have had any feeling in that room because there was nobody else in there yet <laughs> that's what was alarming her yeah unless unless it's some sort of like dampening field where it's right. even, they're kind of dampening her feelings from the crew that aren't necessarily on the same hallway.
1: So they didn't know a Betazoid was in that Starfleet installation at the very beginning of the story so that they would be able to see and transmit their image to a security person who apparently survived. Amazing. But they did know enough about Betazoids so that they brought with them a Betazoid dampening field when they knew they might be having to infiltrate the Enterprise. That is very, yeah, that's very possible. Although it seems, that's a, you know, these eyes at one time are like, they're absolutely unstoppable amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. Except when we need them to be incompetent stormtroopers that can't hit the side of a barn.
0: <laughs> right. So... Yeah. So, um, oh well, we'll find out next week.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Looking forward to uh, the next issue to find out what happens
0: in this storyline. So we'll, we have that next week, and then I think the following week. So after episode 194, we're going to do something a little different for episode 195. Uh, maybe we're we're going to do some of the IDW ongoing or City at the Edge of Forever. We have that to look forward to, since we won't be in the middle of a mini series here in, in Wildstorm.
1: Right, so that seems like a good place to break things, and um, like we said earlier, we're kind of looking forward to the City on the Edge of Forever thing. So,
0: and I'm looking forward to the IDW uh, ongoing. I, w- I want to finish off the Q Gambit. Oh, good
1: point. Oh, maybe we should do that one first. Hmm. <laughs>
0: uh, well, either way, sure. Next week, what yeah. Either way, it's
1: going to be all good. So,
0: plus, you know, we have all these crossovers. We might have to uh, do those soon too.
1: Oh yeah. Well. And, of course, the coming of April might hold a little surprise. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe.
0: All right. Well, let's uh, let everybody go and let them read the rest of uh, Killing Shadows so we can talk about it next week.
1: Sounds good. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. second name book review see you next time on Star Trek comic book review let get the hell out of here.